Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We're back, right, in the studio. Yeah, we're back in the studio. We returned from our sojourn to Brooklyn. Uh, You can hear that episode, the live one we did, in full on our website, stuffthedontwantyouknow.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Mm -hmm. Especially Mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts. Yes, especially Apple Podcasts. They got that hot new Mm rebrand. And uh, we had a heck of a time doing it. Uh, We hope to do more live shows in the future. So as a side note, uh, if you would like us to come to your town, let us know so we can show our bosses (laughs) that they should send us on a field trip. Offer us up a couch to crash on. We would be very much appreciative of that kind of gesture. Mm -hmm. And or a five-star hotel. What, whatever you if you happen have to available. be a big wig and you own a, f- <laughs> a one of those five star hotel six you know six if you got them I think I've ever stayed in a five star <laughs> I think four and a half is is the best I've ever done well I can't uh, disclose a lot of my travel circumstances I like to keep that underground and what we're talking about today speaking of 
overly labored segues uh, concerns one of the most famous allegations of underground travel in modern history. This is a story about a titular incident in World War II on April 30th, 1945, when the Fuhrer of Germany, a.k.a. Adolf Hitler, died. For decades since, this single event has remained one of the most discussed moments of the entire war. He died in a bunker, right? Yes. Think it was a five-star bunker? It probably actually it, it been, was. Yeah. yeah, we have some of the uh we have some of the architecture about actually, you know what I'm remembering and we'll get to this later in the episode, it wasn't that great. Oh, so not a five-star. Not a five-star. <laughs> I don't think it was a Michelin. I don't think that Michelin starred facilities as far as food goes it was it was generally spoiler alert an unpleasant place but mostly secure from shelling yeah well in theory the death of hitler signaled a tremendous blow to the right and even today historians continue to debate about the nature and degree of this blow because there's this big question was Hitler at this point genuinely a good tactician or had he become increasingly unhinged and irrational due to drug use? And now we're talking about like amphetamines. He was hopped up on goofballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the time, you know, in, in World War II, we hear a lot about use of methamphetamines perhaps by Hitler or some Axis powers. But as we examined in our previous episodes on – drug use in the military, amphetamines were something that everybody was interested in, you know? Um, and thank you, by the way, to everybody who wrote in in the listener mail episode that you, Noel, and you, Matt, did where uh, we actually had a caller uh, call in and talk about drugs in the military. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to that episode, please check it out. It was tremendously uh, educational. That's very kind, Ben. It was not a bad effort for for our, us being without our uh, our compatriot, Ben Bolden. Oh, I was I was listening to it on a plane, and I, I think there were there were some pretty funny moments that kind of creeped out the lady sitting next to me. But you know, you made a nice mm-hmm. appearance where you sort of possessed me for a second and <laughs> caused my nose to bleed That's... and me to spout gibberish. And I'm sorry so about that. You were there that. in spirit. Yeah, I've also brought some Kleenexes into the studio in case we have something like that happen again. So was the loss of Hitler largely a symbolic problem? Some. Historians have asked, and you can find exhaustive, and we do mean exhaustive, biographies of Adolf Hitler and and analyses of the Reich and World War II all over the place. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about his life, we can recommend a couple places to find uh, some excellent info. Yeah, one particularly good one is Hitler, the Terminal Biography by D. Harlan Wilson. Also, episode 37 of the World War II podcast, uh, the beginning of a multi-episode series on Hitler by Ray Harris Jr. Um, is another good one. And for a particularly refreshing dive of the deep variety into not just Hitler, but the Nazi party at large in general and more, check out our peer podcast, Stuff You Miss in History Class, which I produce. Great folks. Great folks. So I feel like we're kind of burying the lead here, guys. It's 420. It's April 20th today, which not only is a day for celebrations of people of uh, the verbal persuasion. It's an amphetamine thing, right? No. No. Uh, it's also Hitler's birthday. And – Oh, seriously? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Hitler's birthday. Dang. Today. I didn't know that. I, whoa. 
or it would, it, yeah, I guess if he was still alive, he would have celebrated his 128th birthday. The anniversary of his birth. Yes. Yes. Which, you know, I, we, I, we did not plan this. It was, it was not, uh, something that we were going to do. We're, we usually record our podcasts yesterday on Wednesday and it is, uh, Thursday the 20th. However, we are not talking about his life, nor for the record, or wishing him a happy birthday. It's just weird how the world works. Our story starts again, as we said, on the day of his death. So let's look at the official story, at the room where it happened. <laughs> the room where it happened? That's a joke for you, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. I don't get it. Um, it's a, it's a whole musical thing. Don't, don't worry about oh, it. Oh, oh, it's the, it's the, ha- it's a Hamilton thing. Yeah. yeah it's a Hamilton gotcha. reference. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't, I only know the, I'm not gonna put a shot. Yes. That one. The M&M uh, yes. part. Um, so <laughs> we're going back to the bunker. This is where Hitler and several of his closest associates spent, uh, pretty much the last stretch of the war, especially Hitler, who was just there ensconced. I love that word, Ben. Uh, in the Führer bunker, which is, and it was an air raid shelter in Berlin. We talked about it being resistant somewhat, at least, to shelling and it, other large bombs. It was called the Führer bunker. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Those Germans, man, they really have those like words that are just so absurdly literal. It's That's like, yeah. the bunker of the Führer. The I love, Führer bunker. And I love the the way that the German language, uh, German speakers in the audience, you already you already know this, and and I hope you realize how much non-German speakers appreciate and are mystified by this propensity in German or practice, I should say, to make a word by just smashing mm-hmm. all these other words mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's startling to me, and I stand in awe. Of your enunciation. <laughs> and uh, much like 33 Thomas Street, this bunker was meant to contain everything you'd need to survive for quite a while, especially airborne attacks, chemical weapons even. Uh, however, if a an atomic bomb was dropped on this thing, it wouldn't have fared so well, probably. Yeah, well, of course, this wasn't designed to... Because what's an atom bomb? Right. It wasn't designed to – a big giant uh, thing that nuclear material wipes out populations, drops on people. I also used to do uh, hip-hop tracks with a guy who called himself Atom Bomb, but he spelled it – Wait for it. Yeah, A-D-A-M. Was he related to Adam Ant? You know, I never – we we were mostly colleagues. No, they had different last names. So the Führer bunker was part of a larger Reich Chancellery bunker and it was composed of two parts. There's the Vor bunker or forward bunker and that was completed in 1936. The Führer bunker, the Hitler clubhouse for lack of a more respectful term, was completed in 1944. It was about eight feet lower in the ground, which, which becomes important in just a second when we're talking about the five star stuff. So this complex was originally only intended to be a temporary air raid shelter because during a lot of his career, uh, Adolf Hitler didn't spend that much time actually in Berlin. However, as the situation in Germany worsened by January of 1945, 
it became Hitler's primary residence and it was not a great place because it was below the water table. So it was always kind of damp. If, if you want to see a really, really, really well done dramatization of this period in Hitler's life, check out the movie Downfall. Mm. You may know it if you haven't seen it by this the sort meme. of meme clip mm-hmm. where it's this part where I think Hitler's uh, generals or whatever are telling him that basically all is lost and that nothing can be done. And he's got this map and he just kind of like freaks out and gives them all a really intense dressing down. And there are just all these amazing versions where they change the subtitles to be about – I don't know. Can you remember a particular Yeah, one, one was about um, – backwards compatibility on video games uh, maybe one about like apple removing the headphone jack or something sure, like that stuff he, like that it's like they basically very gently tell him this news and he sort of twitches for a little bit and then just kind of just loses it and pounds on the table but anyway i digress that's that's a great film that very much describes uh visually the period that we're talking about mm-hmm. here recommended highly yeah the situation noel described in downfall from a visual perspective is Pretty much spot on. They had to run pumps continuously to remove groundwater. They had electricity provided by a diesel generator. They used well water for the supplies. They did have, uh, in the beginning, communications equipment, a telex, telephone switchboard, army radio set. I would imagine they had to go dark, though, after a while, or there was no one to communicate with. Yeah, as conditions deteriorated, uh, they ended up receiving much of the war news from British broadcast radio, BBC broadcast, and then via courier toward the end where someone would hear something from the BBC and then like run across the garden and knock on the door. Uh, and and as Matt mentioned, uh, people – it wasn't just Hitler in here, mm-hmm. right? There were other people. Yeah, there are all kinds of officials, other staff that lived at the, the larger complex itself. Aside from Hitler, there were uh, occupants in the bunker like itself – at one time or another. So you're talking about Goring, uh, Hermann Goring, Heinrich Himmler, the uh, – I don't know what you call them, some of the main players in the Nazi party. His like posse, his inner circle. Mm-hmm. His cadre. There you go. Oh, That's man. exactly what it is. Well used. Thank man. you. Thank you. And of course Hitler's longtime partner, Ava Braun. <laughs> As you can imagine, the psychic energy in the bunker – was pretty desperate, uh, at times super intense, like we were saying, uh, in downfall, kind of showing that feeling. Um, and more and more occupants left as conditions got worse and worse and worse surrounding them as forces, allied forces, Russian forces, um, they're all kind of squeezing in towards the bunker itself. Yeah. Let's talk about outside the bunker because it's just as important to our story today as what occurred inside. So by early 1945, Germany's military was on the verge of complete and total collapse. The Nazis felt that the battle for Berlin would be the final battle of the war in Europe. So around 325,000 soldiers of Germany's army, Group B, were surrounded and captured on the 18th of April, leaving the path completely open for American occupation of Berlin, American forces to reach and invade Berlin. Um, by April 11th, the Americans crossed the Elba, uh, 62 miles to the west of Berlin, and then by the 16th, Soviet forces to the east crossed the Oder and commenced the battle for the Silo Heights, which was the last major defensive line protecting Berlin on that particular side. And by uh, the 19th of April, the German forces were in full retreat from Silo Heights. So this means there was no front line. Berlin was bombarded by Soviet artillery for the first time on 
His birthday, Hitler's birthday, April 20th. The 20th of April. On the 21st, Hitler ordered an SS general named Felix Steiner uh, to take his detachment and move to rescue Berlin. But by the evening of the same day, Soviet tanks reached the outskirts of the city. That is a strong SS name, general name, Felix Steiner. Mm. Just, just very imposing sounding. Yes, absolutely. So the next day, the 22nd, Hitler learned that Stein, Steiner had not obeyed his order and for the first time – and this, this really calls back to that moment in downfall. Yes. He declared that the war was lost. This is when he consulted his doctor, Dr. Werner Haas, on the most reliable method of suicide and the doctor told him that he should use both a cyanide pill and a bullet self-administered. In that order. Right. Yeah. And, and this is when – Hitler's paranoia really starts to ramp up to the highest levels that it's been. Um, cause, you know, I, I can only imagine that being at that top level, you have some thoughts about the people around you that can border on crazy, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he was really feeling that the people closest to him were traitors and he didn't trust anybody. Well, and can you imagine too going from being the head honcho? that can do whatever he wants, get whatever he wants, order whatever he wants to be done to whomever he chooses, to living in an underground subterranean cube, you know, with your closest frenemies, I guess. Right. And can you imagine the paranoia that would set in and just the isolation that would set in? Not to mention if you're geeked up out of your mind on amphetamines. And right. one of your major generals just – Dis- disobeyed your order outright. Categorically did not do his job. Mm-hmm. So here's the, here are a couple of examples. When Hermann Göring learned about this suicide conversation Hitler had had with his doctor, he sent a telegram to Adolf Hitler and asked for permission to take over the leadership of the Reich. And he, he had, Göring felt he had precedence because in 1941, Hitler had named Göring his successor. So Hitler's secretary, a guy named Martin Bormann, convinced his boss that Goring was planning a coup. In response, Hitler told Goring he would be executed unless he resigned, and then he sacked Goring from all of his offices, ordered his arrest, and then he learned through the BBC that Heinrich Himmler had offered to surrender to the Western Allies. Can you imagine? Geez, so all of these you know thoughts that he's having are in some ways coming true. Right. The, the offer – by the way, was declined by the Allies. Himmler apparently had implied to the Allies that he had the authority to negotiate a surrender. And Hitler considered this treason. He was beyond furious. Mm -hmm. He ordered Himmler's arrest. Was he furious? Oh, Oh, that was worth it. That was was worth it. Uh, (laughs) He was. He was furious. Uh, He not only ordered Himmler's arrest, but... Himmler had a representative from the SS who was at the bunker and Hitler had him executed. Ugh. Talk about blaming the, the messenger, the representative. So by the 27th of April, as we said, Berlin was cut off from the rest of Germany. On April 29th, Hitler married Eva Braun. And upon learning the fate of his ally, Benito Mussolini, whose body was desecrated after his execution. Wasn't he dragged behind like a carriage of some yeah, sort? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, he requested the cyanide capsules from his doctor, remarking that he would not be made a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Side note, uh, uh, side note here. Um, 
just to give a little insight into the character of this dictator, he need, he wanted to make sure the capsule worked. So he ordered his doctor Haas to use one on his own dog, Blondie. And at, it, least, at least it wasn't like his daughter or something. Right. But it God, did am work. Am I making apologies for Hitler? <laughs> it did work. The dog died and Hitler was satisfied. He went to bed, which brings us to the day of. On April 30th, General Wilhelm Keitel reported that all forces that could have rescued Berlin had either been encircled or forced onto the defensive. Soviet forces were less than 1,600 feet from this half-star bunker. And then the commander of the Berlin defense area told Hitler that the forces that remained would run out of ammunition that night and the fighting would eventually come to an end less than 24 hours from then. So imagine the scene. Hitler, two of his secretaries and his personal cook had lunch, after which he and Eva said farewell to members of the staff and the other occupants at the time. Uh, that included Bormann, Joseph Goebbels, his family, the secretaries, military officers. Around 2.30, Adolf and Eva went into Hitler's personal study. Witnesses later reported hearing a gunshot about an hour later at 3.30. Hitler's valet, a guy named Heinz Ling, uh, had Bormann at his side. They opened the door. Ling smelt burnt almonds, which are a common observation made in the presence of prussic acid, which is the uh, liquid form of hydrogen cyanide. And another official entered the study and found lifeless bodies on the sofa. Eva Braun was to Hitler's left, slumped away from him. Uh, people stated that Hitler sat sunken over, blood dripping out of his right temple, and that he had shot himself with his own pistol, a Walther PPK. According to Heinzling, uh, Eva's body had no physical wounds that were visible, and it looked like from her face that she died of cyanide poisoning. His bodyguard, Rochus Misch, was one of the first people to see the dictator's corpse and he also ended up being one of the last two living people left at the bunker. He fled the bunker on May the 2nd, only hours before the Soviet army seized it. He met up with other soldiers. They traveled north through the Yuban tunnels. They were taken prisoner when the Soviets caught them. He was brought to a prison in Moscow called Lubyanka, where he was tortured in an attempt to extract information regarding what happened to Hitler. Because you see, Stalin, Joseph Stalin, was extremely interested in learning more about Hitler's fate and theories about his possible escape. And because of this, Rochus Misch spent eight years in forced labor camps. His account largely confirms the official narrative. But that's just one guy's account, right? And it leads, and, yeah. And a lot of people, you know, still don't believe the story. But why? We'll answer that after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. 
$25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Almost immediately after the news of Hitler's death, conspiracy theories proliferated. We're talking the same like month, or the same couple of weeks. Like wildfire, they spread. This view is overwhelmingly dismissed in the public sphere and in academia. But there are tantalizing little nuggets of, of information. They continue to be strewn about and emerge, casting doubt on the official story. Here is one example. Um, a secret memo from FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover declared that, quote, American army officials in Germany have not located Hitler's body, nor is there any reliable source that will say definitely that Hitler is dead. At the Potsdam conference, U.S. President Harry S. Truman asked Stalin if Hitler had died, and Stalin said, nope. I'm kidding. He didn't actually say nope, but he said no. And the thing is that Soviet intelligence often changed their official stance on Hitler's fate. And because of this ambiguity, they created a large amount of uncertainty for decades afterwards. There are also a number of FBI documents that came out. You can find them at the vault.fbi.gov. You may have heard of this before. Um, and these documents are alleged sightings of Hitler that happened after his supposed death. 
Usually he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and a little fedora and like uh like with glasses with the nose and the mustache attached. Those then, are yeah, those are more recent. And he has that T-shirt that says "Definitely not Hitler." Definitely yeah, not yeah, Hitler. yeah, 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 yeah. Always with has the arrow shirt. pointing up to his head. <laughs> um, but these documents they range from from you know 1945 all the way to the 70s and then later. But most of them are accounts of someone calling in or making contact with the FBI or some other agency and saying, I, I'm, I know where Hitler is. He's here in Argentina or he's here in Puerto Rico or in these other places. Right. Um, and it's just a recording of someone saying that they have that information. And we need to put in a, a brief word about this sort of stuff. So one problem that law enforcement across the planet runs into repeatedly is the idea of someone seeing a random person and thinking that they're definitely, you know, the Zodiac killer, the son of Sam. Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. Perfect example. And the, the problem with that is in many cases, not only can these not be verified, but often – not maybe not the majority of the time, but often there are people who are just reporting it because they kind of want attention. Not to mention if you have an actual like manhunt situ- situation, mm-hmm. like uh, I, I recently watched the O.J. Simpson uh, dramatization on on FX with Cuba Gooding Jr. And there was a part where when O.J. was on the run in the Bronco, people kept calling like saying, I saw, I definitely see OJ and it was just clogging up the lines <laughs> to the point where like the person that actually had information couldn't even get through because people, like you say, either are jerks and are just trying to like prank people or they just really want attention and want to be like the guy that brought down Hitler. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's excitement, right? In right. thinking that it might be. And so one of the reasons that the FBI did keep track of this, although they, they did conclude that these accounts or these reports cannot be verified. They had an interest in keeping track in this because of the situation with Hitler's body. Yes. Okay. According to the official story, uh, what happened with, with Hitler's the, – the Hitler's body, both Ava and Adolf, they were taken from the bunker up to the surface um, and they were set on fire. Yeah, cremated, right, per yeah. his wishes. Exactly. And because he, he didn't want his body, anything, he didn't want anything to happen to his body after the Soviets got there. And he didn't want to get the Mussolini treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, because it was burned and may have even been hit, uh, from the shelling, possibly once or twice or however many times, there's no way to confirm any of that. There were other bodies that were also cremated there. There was a whole stack of bodies that ended up roughly in the location where the Hitlers were, where their remains were. And it wasn't really known for quite a while in the time frame after his their deaths and after the remains were collected by the Soviets. Right. So there are all kinds of forensic issues here. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's also keep in mind uh, that – Almost immediately after World War II, the uneasy alliance that existed between the Soviet forces and I guess more of the West, Mm -hmm. right? Like the European allies and the U.S., almost immediately this uneasy alliance began to disintegrate. This was much more of an enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation, right? What about a frenemy of my frenemy? Then that would take us back to the bunker. But yeah, frenemy is frenemy is a pretty accurate term for the interaction between these people. So the Soviet government having 
control over a lot of this stuff and already launching into a rivalry. And this is not to put this geopolitical Cold War stuff all on the Soviets' end. There there were definitely aggressions on both sides of this new world order. But another, uh, as, as Noel said, a, a nugget of information emerged recently and, uh, you know, decades later and set the internet on fire because the Soviet government, after multiple changes in their, their end of the official story and ambiguities and contradictions, allowed a, uh, an archaeologist and bone specialist named Nick Bellatoni to test, uh, the fragments of skull that the that were kept in the Russian Federal Archives in Moscow and purportedly were, you know, the remains of Hitler's skull. I bet Nick Cage was so pissed when he found that out. He was like, I thought I had Hitler's skull yeah. in my collection. I'm sure there were several people who wrote strongly worded letters to eBay. About, oh man. Uh so the the thing that uh Dr. Bellatoni found out was that when he took samples of the skull and gave them DNA testing, found that it definitely wasn't Hitler unless Hitler was a woman below the age of 40. It Interesting. Was, it was a different skull. I'm going to say it was a different skull. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. Well, yeah, and it, it goes back to that whole idea that there were a, a lot of bodies strewn about in that area where they picked up you know, where the Soviets picked up the remains for testing, um, you know, it was just going to happen probably. And and here's something interesting. Okay. Neither former Soviet nor current Russian officials claimed that the skull was the main piece of evidence proving it was Hitler. So we have to throw some water on this mm-hmm. one. Instead, they would cite these jawbone fragments and two dental bridges that were found. And these items were shown to Hugo Blaschke, who was Hitler's dentist. That's the thing about being a dictator. You have a, you have a, an entourage of people who just do one thing for you, right? And so, uh, Hugo, the dentist, and his dental assistant, uh, a person named Kathy Hauserman, uh, and then a longtime dental technician named Fritz Echtman, all confirmed that the dental remains, the bridge, the bridges belonged to Hitler and Eva Braun. And the skull fragment itself, and this sometimes gets uh, glossed over in the stories about it's not Hitler's skull. The, the skull fragment was found a year later in 1946 when the Soviets were investigating rumors of Hitler's survival because for a long time Stalin was obsessed with this. Yeah. And Stalin definitely had an obsessive personality so we can say that maybe that part of the story of hitler surviving or faking his death maybe that part of the story is a little sensationalized but there are still clear problems with the official narrative and even today 2017 hitler would have been 128 and if you want to see x-rays of adolf hitler's jaw and pictures of a recreated version of the jawbone uh, when they were doing testing to figure out if this truly was uh, Hitler's jawbone. Uh, search the odontological identification of Adolf Hitler. There's an entire document here that goes over everything and includes images of everything we just talked about. Why do you think Stalin had such a bee in his bonnet about this whole business? You think he just felt like out dictated? 
That's an interesting question. He was uh, definitely an obsessive man, obsessive in terms of personality, perhaps to the level of a mental disorder. Mm. But then there's also the very interesting argument that one cannot be a dictator without some sort of cognitive anomaly. God complex. Right, exactly. And also – we can't forget that he had access to information that did not exist in any way whatsoever, not only in the public sphere in the Soviet Union, but even in governmental levels in the that's West. A, that's a good point. So he saw a lot of problems with the official story. And as more and more of this information emerged across the gulf of time and space, uh, more and more people – began to question whether Adolf Hitler actually died and began asking, what if? We're going to ask that question, too, after a little sponsor break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So what if this, ladies and gentlemen, is the part of the show where we explore some of the speculation regarding alternate narratives of Hitler post-World War II? I'd be okay with that. I'm fantastic. I'm glad you're on board. <laughs> so if if he did somehow escape, where would he have gone? Earlier in the show, we mentioned uh, earlier in the show, we mentioned one of Hitler's officials who said, look, the S is about to hit the F and I don't mean San Francisco. We're going to run out of ammunition in 24 hours. That that official also requested for the nth time for Hitler to greenlight them attempting to make a breakout, yes. which would mean that he and uh, the associates in the remaining military would essentially go for a Hail Mary and just try to get through the Soviet encirclement to reconvene with whatever existing forces they could find. Because there were tunnels that were uh, fairly nearby that they could use. There were some airports that possibly they could have accessed. Right. So that is one of the big questions. This brings us to what we would call rat lines and paper clips. You see, although the Allies reported that Hitler was indeed deceased, privately, several factions within that coalition doubted the official story. Several figures in Allied intelligence believed Hitler might have actually escaped. And as mentioned before, the Russian leader, Joseph Stalin, was certain Hitler had actually fled, and he told this to the Americans. So during a visit to The Hague shortly after the war, the commander of the Allied forces, good old Dwight Ike, right? Ike? Yeah. I like Ike. Dwight yeah, yeah. D. Eisenhower told reporters that there was, a, quote, reason to believe Hitler was still alive. Um, the Russian account of what happened after they had seized Hitler's one-star Bunker was confused and contradictory, and just like Bin Laden, uh, decades later, there was no body. What's the what's the uh, Latin for "show me the body"? Habeas corpus. Habeas corpus. You have the body. Mm-hmm, that's yeah. it. What about "show me the money"? Is there a Latin for that? Uh, yes, probably. Habeas de Niro? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we will we will doubtlessly find out. You can write to us directly with the Latin translation of not only "show me the money" but your other favorite film catchphrases. So yes, so there were rumors that were circulating that both Hitler and Brown at this time they're both Hitlers uh, had been smuggled out of Germany, and there were reported sightings of the two coming from all over the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, the FBI and the OSS, which you may know as the predecessor to the CIA, they investigated a lot of these rumors and there are a lot of places that they may have gone according to these rumors. Right. One of them is South America. Yeah, and here's the thing, at the time this was not an absolutely bonkers concept. Although the public was largely unaware of the situation, multiple Nazi officials escaped punishment after the war through several different means. Due to the hundreds of thousands of German immigrants who lived in the country, Argentina in particular maintained close ties with Germany and remained neutral throughout much of World War II. In the years after the war, uh, the the president at the time, uh, Juan Perón, secretly ordered diplomats and intelligence officers to establish escape routes, so-called 
rat lines through ports in Spain and Italy to smuggle thousands of former SS officers and Nazi party members out of Europe. And as many as 5,000 Nazis are, are thought to have relocated to Argentina. One of the major ideas about how this may have happened, how the Hitlers got out, it comes – I'm pulling this from Skeptoid, uh, another uh, podcast that covers a lot of these kinds of things and I would recommend you check it out if you're interested. Uh, we're just going to pull from here. So on May 8th, 1945, the German Instrument of Surrender was signed. So this is you know a couple of weeks after – like a week and a couple days after Hitler allegedly committed suicide. Officially ending the war. This, yeah, officially ends World War II at least in Europe. And there were remaining German submarines and several other naval ships that were out at sea at the time. And the submarines in particular were ordered to jettison their ammunition to operate only on the surface and to surrender essentially to any UN uh, port that they could. Now, several several of the submarines decided this may be some kind of diversionary tactic. Maybe the war isn't over. Maybe this is propaganda and they're just trying to get us to, you know, surrender. So mm-hmm. one boat in particular, one submarine, a U boat called U five thirty, it chose to kind of be on its own for a while, mm-hmm. almost two months where it, it took a, uh, it took a journey. And if you look at the skeptoid thing, it tells you all about, exactly where they went, and this is the ship that allegedly dropped off Hitler, the Hitlers, according to several stories, because of its route it took uh, Mm -hmm. past Argentina. Right, and ultimately it surrendered to the Argentinian Navy, isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so the uh, it also not only jettisoned a lot of its equipment, but its logs. Yeah. So these two missing months are questionable as they exist in the statements uh, that Vermouth gave to the Argentinians. So w- what's the uh, what's the fringe historian account of this, Matt? The account would be that the Hitlers escaped through uh, tunnels, got to an airport that then took them over to the submarine. The submarine then dropped them off in Argentina and – you know that that's like the story, and there are allegedly a couple of people that saw them, saw some German officials exiting this submarine. Mm-hmm. Um, though you know, being able to correctly identify which submarine it was, there are all kinds of issues with that. And if you look at the official story from the captain, or I, what I don't know what you call him, the person who was running the submarine, the commander, sure, uh, the logs, their travel, his story of the travel. With those logs that they jettisoned makes sense uh, as far as how much fuel they used, how much fuel they had on board and where like the route that they took, which doesn't include dropping people off in Argentina. If you did the math, right? Yes. So unless there were some other fuel stop that remained secret, it would be physically impossible even at a reduced and more economical speed for U-530 to make that trip. Yeah, because of the long amount of time, they were traveling extremely slowly deep in, in the water. So this idea, this rat line stuff, uh, was not restricted to Argentina, nor is it uh, a, a series of allegations. Let's be clear here. The only allegation is that Adolf Hitler 
was among those who went on these rat lines. Otherwise, it's completely true and it's proven. And in some cases, with the assistance of the Vatican, various officials escaped. German prosecutors who examined secret files from Brazil and Chile also discovered that as many as 9,000 Nazi officers and collaborators from other countries escaped from Europe to find sanctuary in these South American nations. Brazil took in between 1,500 and 2,000 war criminals, uh, 500 to 1,000 settled in Chile. Here's an interesting point. Perón, and I'm so proud of the three of us for getting this far without a don't cry for me, Argentina, a Vita reference. What's that? I'm not falling for this reindeer game. <laughs> that the one with Madonna? <laughs> Is it is, and I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, Perón particularly wanted to recruit Nazis with military and technical expertise because let's remember these scientists were doing some top-notch rocketry work, as we've discussed in previous episodes. So they were like rocket scientists. They were literally rocket scientists. Were they brain surgeons? Uh, I don't know if they were brain surgeons. Yeah. Slackers. But they the were. guy who, who invented the V2 rocket for, you know, the Nazis also invented the Saturn V rocket that went to the moon. Werner so, von Braun, right? So yeehaw. Oh, I remember him. I remember yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, these, uh, the thing that Perón wanted to do, the reason he wanted these, uh, these scientists is because he believed it could help Argentina's progress in these fields, much like the United States and the Soviet Union, despite the public righteousness and pretense of pursuing justice, both the U.S. and the USSR scrambled like mad dogs to gain possession of as many Nazi scientists as possible. Like roaches fleeing the blinding light of a 40-watt bulb. Yeah, like uh, like people at a comic convention uh, desperately clawing at each other and trampling one another another when someone threw out a copy of Action Comics number one. Or a two liter of Mountain Dew. I've seen that happen in person. Or, you know, like two massive empires that want to control the world and need every technical little bit of advantage they can get. That is much more apt, Matthew. Yes. In the U.S., this was known as Operation Paperclip. And if you'd like to learn more about it, oh, friends and neighbors, have we got a deal for you. You can check out all of our past video and audio episodes on that with a simple Internet search. However, we would be remiss if we did not close on one of the more, let's say, controversial theories about the ultimate alleged escape route of Adolf Hitler. And that is, uh, if we could have a drum roll, please. Antarctica. Yes. Uh, Hitler went to join his ancient Aryan underground brothers in Antarctica. You, you mean polar bears? Yep. That's the original Aryan nation. <laughs> Polar bears are in the North Pole. These would be penguins. Oh, my bad. I, I get my poles confused. <laughs> the, um, the, the, this ties into the earlier longstanding theory that it factors in something called Operation High Jump. So we'll talk about the less, uh, less out there version and then we'll maybe end on the really, the really out there version. So the less out there version is that the Allies and the Axis powers were both 
exploring Antarctica as sort of an insurance policy to make sure that they could control all of the continents eventually. Because we have to remember, they are playing uh, a huge live-action game of risk. And so the uh, the German side and the Axis side wanted to create a land called New Schwabia. And you can actually find this on some of the maps of the time. The theory here is that a U-boat that was out of pocket or was maybe black ops the entire time ferried Hitler and some other officials to Antarctica where they began to plan for a uh, Third Reich version 2, which I guess technically would be a Fourth Reich, but they did not consult Matt, Noel, and I on the nomenclature. Uh, this is widely not accepted by academia, but it goes further. There's also uh, a train of thought amongst people who believe that the Nazi powers discovered or were at least searching for, as Matt said, an underground race of ancient Aryans who made their own civilization in anywhere from a subterranean cave system to a hollow earth. Penguins. Penguins. Just so. Uh, uber penguins and that these uh that these forces are responsible for multiple ufo sightings in the subsequent decades now that's fascinating tell me more i'm sorry i didn't mean to make light by saying they were penguins i was just trying to make up for not knowing where polar bears live (laughs) no uh no please please don't don't uh beat yourself up here the idea is the the idea is that it's kind of a take off the the concept we've seen before that UFOs often confused with extraterrestrials are just classified technology that most people aren't aware of, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea here would be that the Nazi party or the remnants of it made it to Antarctica but also managed to preserve some of the secret technology they have been researching. So might this enter into like the sort of trope, the sort of James Bondy trope of like secret underground ice lairs with death rays and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. At this point, uh, you know, we do have to say that it it doesn't seem from what we've encountered, it doesn't seem likely that Antarctica ended up being the final resting place of Hitler. We do know for sure that South America ended up being the final resting place for uh, several members of that same political party. However, we do have to ask, are all these stories, is all this conjecture based on the fact simply that this is one of the most infamous people in history Or are the holes in the official narrative, which, you know, indisputably exist, even just in the manner of his death in Berlin, are these, are these holes purposeful propaganda efforts by the Soviet intelligence, or is there something more to the story? Did Adolf Hitler die by his own hand on April 30th, 1945? In my opinion, it's all about a lack of closure. You have this ancient evil figure that the Allies and the Soviets are all seeing as like this is the guy. We, we win if this guy is dead, mm-hmm. and you you know, allegedly he's dead, but you can't prove it, right? You don't have a body. You don't have a thing to show in the newspaper. Like here is Hitler's dead body. 
the evil is defeated. It's the same thing with Osama bin Laden. That's, I mean, it's why when you have that boogeyman, the only way to get closure is to know for certain that he, you know, it is dead. Well, it's a, it's sort of a, a, a fascination, maybe obsession we have with that kind of closure where, you know, so many people really depend on a funeral where there's a body in a casket that you mm-hmm. can say that was my, my peepaw and now it's he's, he's gone and we, you know, do a thing and say goodbye. Honestly, it's like the antithesis of that in a way, but with that same linchpin of like proof, like we need to show everyone needs to assemble and see this, accept it, and then we can move on. If you don't have that, there are many that would maybe always look at what we're talking about. Yeah, there's still a possibility. Conjecture, you know, speculation runs wild when you don't have that kind of proof. And we see that all the time with the stories we cover. Let's add another aspect here, um, which is, a little bit disturbing from a psychological perspective, but I believe absolutely real and furthermore crucial to these considerations. And it is the following. So the official reasoning of the U.S. government in the uh, assassination of Osama bin Laden and the burial at sea, which I believe is the phrasing they used, was that they did not want a gravesite. Because they did not want to encourage martyrdom and they did not want to encourage, you know, uh, attacks or events around that. So would the reasoning be that if there were a, a, um, grave for Hitler or a known place of death, that this would become a rallying point for people who shared those views or even a site of constant, uh, What's the word? Defacement, you know, a site of constant um, vandalism or destruction by, you know, people that that hated this man and that had real pain and suffering caused to their families and their life and their family and generations for Mm -hmm. generations to continue to go back to that place Uh, as a, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying that people always are going to resort to violence or lashing out, but that's a pretty big one, you know? Yeah. And and historically, uh, people do resort to violence. No, I know, I know. I I like to think the best of people, I guess. But I really do agree that having a site like that could cause problems, Mm -hmm. could even cause clashes between the current supporters of some of that ideology and people whose lives and families were torn apart by, you know, what he did. Yeah, Yeah. where the hell do you put it, you know? Space. Antarctica. (laughs) Okay, that's a good place. Antarctica is so isolated. It's like diet space. I'm sorry. I did it again. I said Antarctica. Arctica. The Arctic. (laughs) Kill me. (laughs) Well, speaking of thinking the best of people, we want to thank you for checking out the show. And we want to hear your opinions. How familiar are you with this concept? I think a, a lot of people are familiar with Hitler escape theories uh, due to uh, some of the search for Hitler shows that have played on cable television. And what's your take? Is this something that has some sand to it? Uh, if there is something that the official narrative has misled the public on, what is it? And why did they do it? Because as we've seen in the course of this show, there are multiple opportunities. Again, uh, I know I'm primarily hitting on Soviet intelligence here, but there are multiple times where the, the story didn't add up, but not in a way that conclusively proves or disproves rather the official narrative. So write to us. 
Let us know your thoughts. And while we're talking about the best part of the show, which is you, that reminds me, it's time for Shout Out Corner. That's right. It's Shout Out Corner, the time in every show where we shout out to you, our beloved listeners. The first shout out today goes to Noir Guitar Super on Instagram. Uh, Noir Guitar Super says, I'd love a shout out. Skadoosh. Cool. Thank you. I don't know what I just said that randomly one day and it's just it's caught fire. I totally stole it from Bob's Burgers too. I am such a fraud. Um, so I'd love a shout out if possible. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I didn't really. On Bob's Burgers, it's skadooch. I made it a, an sh sound, so that's not exactly <laughs> stealing it. Um, it was lifted with good intentions. It was inspired. It by. was inspired by. Yes. Um, so I'd love a shout out if possible. Uh, topic. Suggestion from Noir Guitar Super. Have you ever heard of that Mexican drug dealer who practiced black magic, did all sorts of wacky stuff, also a serial killer, Adolfo Constanzo? It gets crazy from the word go. Emoji? Yeah, I put emoji in parentheses because when I read the comment, I wasn't sure which emoji he meant. Mm. So I just wrote emoji in parentheses. That was my bad. Well, I'm just going to insert a unicorn. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and that's a, that's a great topic idea, uh, Noir Guitar Super, because Adolfo Constanzo is someone that we had looked at a little bit in the past, but never done a show on. This is a Cuban American serial killer, drug dealer, and cult leader of a gang called the Narco Satanist, or Los Narco Satanicos. Uh, his cult members nicknamed him El Padrino. What, what he did was, he was participating in, in the narco trade, but he began to believe that these magic spells that he was practicing, uh, many of which he, he lifted and, and sort of twisted from uh, a belief system called Palo Meombe, uh, were responsible for the success of these cartels that he worked with. And he started killing people. He, he had beef with some of the cartels when he said, you know, you owe all your success to my dark magic. And they said, nah, you know, hey, man, like we like cocaine, too, but you're being kind of crazy. Uh, and then seven members of this powerful cartel uh, disappeared and they turned up with body parts missing. Come to find this guy would put body parts in a cauldron and participate in cannibalistic black magic. I would love to look into this guy further in a future episode. And by the way, Noir Guitar Super, uh, while you're waiting, if you haven't done it yet, check out our episode on Narco Saints. And check out our interview with Bob Mazur, uh, of the, uh, Infiltrator. Um, the film with Brian Cranston was based on this guy, Bob Mazur, who was an, uh, an undercover operative. Um, and he basically infiltrated the narco trade that we are talking about. And there are mm-hmm. some really interesting stories about Santeria and about encounters with some of these types mm-hmm. of folks. So that's another, another good That's one. a really good call. Thank you, Super Guitar, for an extremely disturbing topic that I look forward to looking into. Uh, The next one comes from Clayton. Clayton says, Hello, guys. I found it amusing that when I started playing the latest episode of a podcast about conspiracies, and I found it begin with an ad for a store opening near me. Do they know? Uh Have they found me? Uh Are they near? 
Who are they? <laughs> I just thought it was uh, funny, uh, given the premise of the show. Well, we think it's funny, too, and that's why we're doing it. We think it's hilarious. We're just playing a joke on you. They're not real ads. Don't even worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> we're just – they're little Easter eggs that we hope you find, Clayton. And right. uh, there's one in this, too, so I hope yeah. you noticed. I have a little topic suggestion that I'd like to throw in, just thinking about some of the stuff we just talked about. Jim Jones. Have we done anything on Jim Jones? We've, we've done, done video. Yeah, we've done well, video, but we, we should do that. a podcast because there's a new book that just came out mm-hmm. uh, written by the Peabody Award-winning author Jeff Gwynn called Jim Jones, The Road to Jonestown. It's not actually called Jim Jones, The Road. It's just called The Road to Jonestown. But he did a fabulous interview on NPR with Terry Gross the other week, and there's actually audio tape of the, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, the flavor aid, I guess it was. Get Dwyer out of here. Yeah, that was some pretty, uh, pretty blood curdling stuff. But there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about him and his history, and I think it might be worth exploring. Like the fact that some of his early work was very, uh, humanitarian for lack of a better term, and much more in the social justice kind of vein, and only after he sort of went down his own rabbit hole and drank his own Kool-Aid. And interacted with intelligence exactly, communities. Exactly. That's true, too. But I think, I, I don't know, I'd like to do that. That's just, that's a personal shout-out to, to myself. I can't check right now if we've done an audio podcast on it, but I'm pretty sure we did in early, early on. We may have. We may have. Uh, that The relationship between intelligence communities and uh, religious leaders is endlessly fascinating. I actually lost sleep earlier this week when I was reading back again on Mar- uh, not Marilyn Manson, different guy, Charles Manson, mm. and uh, Paul Crockett, the Scientologist miner who saved Tex Watson. Uh, so we've got one more shout out here, and it comes to us from uh, from Tyler via email. Tyler says, "Hey all, big fans show you helped me get through many a long drive. I had a couple show ideas. First, after this election, all the accusations of voting fraud, I'd love to hear about the history of rigged elections. When was the first recorded fixed vote? When was the last fixed vote? Maybe some famous rigged elections. We can definitely look at the third one, Tyler. Finding the first one's going to yeah. be tough. How do you prove that, Tyler? Well, some people might also say, show us an example of a non-rigged election. Also, I think that an episode about the DSM, says Tyler, would be fascinating. Its history is a tool for social control, the inherent prejudice, and the influence of big pharma on diagnoses make this a topic I think you guys will love. Thanks. Stay awesome. And he sent us a follow-up message. He said, just realized that I forgot to say I'm a mental health professional who has worked in the field for more than 15 years, and I teach mental health diagnostics at a local graduate school. So my love-hate relationship with the DSM is not just a flash in the pan. If you'd like to contact me, just respond to this email. Perhaps we could chat on the phone. Yes, I just listened to that episode. (laughs) So thank you so much uh, to Tyler, Noir Guitar Super, Clayton, and to you, Mr. Brown. Oh man, shucks. <laughs> Tw- <laughs> Twarn't nothing. I think it's, I think these are all fantastic you, ideas. You skadooshed yourself. I done skadooshed the skadoosher. <laughs> he is self skadooshed. And this concludes. Shh,
But not the end of our show. Matt Knoll and I are going to be returning next week. And stay tuned because we have some big news on the way to you. In the meantime, if you'd like to check out some of the stories that for one reason or another haven't made it to air yet, find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are Conspiracy Stuff. If you'd like to see various images that we think are worth looking at, you can also find us on Instagram. And... If you don't care about any of that stuff and you just want to reach out the old-fashioned way, you can type a little old email and shoot that thing off into the internet rabbit hole to conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.